Hi everybody, so yeah, thanks for tuning in into the podcast. So I took a kind of a long break, but now I'm back. To those who are new to the podcast, I quickly want to introduce myself. I'm Hannes, I'm currently in Ethiopia. And here I'm interviewing different people to hear their stories and their viewpoints. So this is another story and let me get started. Today we gonna talk about games. So games are all about simulation. And to understand it a little bit better, we will talk about the concept of knowledge and experience. Because games are all about experience. And games can actually help us to put the knowledge which we have into experience. So that's why we first want to talk about this concept of knowledge and experience or wisdom even and so that's also where we're gonna start this top uh, this podcast with and later we will go into other areas and today i have another guest his name is dagem his short name or Dagmavi. He's working at the Goethe Institute. And before we start into the topic, I just want to ask you, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit. Thank you very much. I feel honored to actually be here <coughs> and share my ideas. So my name is Dagmavi Vedulu. I go by the name Dagem, which is a short hand of my first name. I, I was born and raised in Addis and I studied electrical engineering. Uh, I specialized in software engineering. I was working as a software architect for 10 years in one of the biggest tech companies in the country. And now for the past three years, I went back to my childhood passion, which is games. And the sector I'm working on is called game thinking. And currently I can proudly say I'm a game thinking expert. And like, yeah, we spend most of our time exploring the science and art of play and how it can impact humanity and how it can help, especially in the genre of games for change. So that's what I'm doing. I'm a project manager, and here at the Goten Institute, we have a project called InterAfrica, where we're trying to promote the idea of game thinking. So that's what I do. Okay, cool. Yeah, so actually, maybe let me tell the people who are listening the story how I got to know you, actually. I think it was more than a year ago, I was still living in Switzerland and just did some holidays in Ethiopia, Dagmavi had an Airbnb and so I just randomly basically ended up in his Airbnb because I found your description interesting. That's how I basically got to know the people in the Goethe Institute. So we were talking before the podcast also a little bit. You mentioned the discrepancy between common sense and common action or like what we know, the knowledge and what we actually do. So Maybe you can emphasize a little bit more about this topic and uh, what it actually means. This is actually one of the topics that are that is really dear to me, uh, which sometimes I even consider as my purpose in life and like my quest to understand. And uh, to start off, like the first, I think the first question is what is knowledge and. And just to give a small description on how it works and how the brain works and how we always live in this realm of knowledge and action. First, I think everyone needs to understand 
what technically is referred to as the DIKW approach, which is how we collect information, process it, and turn it into action. And this DIKW, it's actually an abbreviation. It means data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. And this is the process of anything we sense as human beings with our five senses, how it is introduced to us, and then how it's turned into an actual experience. So the first thing, we have five senses. Our five senses are always gathering data, what we call. Then, since we are a thinking machine, we are into creating patterns and connecting data. So whenever we organize data, we call it information. <coughs> so let's say I see a beautiful lady walking on the street. Okay, that's the first stimuli. I sensed it. My eyes saw it. Maybe she was wearing a perfume. I smelled it and she left and I forgot about her. Let's assume next week I see her again. Now it's no longer data. Now it becomes an information because I've seen her before. My mind is trying to organize it. Okay, she's saying, okay, you've seen this girl before. Now she's here again. So when you do this stimuli we receive, when it's organized, and categorized, we call it information. The next thing to information is what we call wisdom. And the W is when your mind collects a data, turns into an information, and gives meaning to that information. So, for example, if you remember in our biology class, we are study, we studied biology is a study of living things. So that's more or less an information we received. But if I ask you what information is, and if you define it in your own term, now it becomes what we call knowledge. Or meaning when you understand it in your own way. All the three, the D, the I, and the K, or the data, information, and knowledge, all three are still happening in your brain. And none of them actually manifested in the real world as actions yet. Now, this is where the trick happens. Because once we created a knowledge base, we assume we know it. Or we know, for example, once I have my own definition of biology, or once I know how to actually ask that girl out, my brain goes into this illusion, because the illusion of wisdom, meaning... I assume or I feel like I know the thing, even though I've never experienced it. That's why you have a lot of critics criticizing a lot of things. So for them in the fo- in football, you see a lot of people criticizing Messi for how he plays. Now, if you really ask these people if they have ever played football, they might not have never played it. But this illusion of wisdom actually traps people in the assumption that they know the thing they're talking about. For example, the, the, the most widely example we give is fear. You can talk about fear, but being afraid is completely different. So that's where the difference between knowledge and what we call wisdom. What wisdom is, is actually what we call unactionable knowledge. This is more or less the walkthrough of what we call wisdom or knowledge, in a sense. Okay, so actually, like when I think about games, there are some games I like. And since I like them, there's a higher likelihood that I will play them. And there are some games which I don't like, and there's also a higher likelihood that I will not play them because I don't like them, right? So, in a sense, I choose for games, right? But in in life, sometimes I end up in the simulation. On a side note, I believe like reality is also just a simulation of our brain, right? A game is a simulation, but reality is also a simulation. In this reality simulated by my brain, I end up in a game or whatsoever, which I don't like to to do. So my question is, in reality, sometimes we have to do things we don't want. And I would say they're not purposeful for us because we don't really like them. Some people, they might work in jobs and... They don't like them and they're not purposeful for them. So you mentioned like basically to get to the wisdom, we need to do it and we need to create this interaction. But then my question is, what's the difference between wisdom 
and purpose or this fulfillment. I thought like if you get to this point of wisdom, you are also fulfilled and you have this purpose. But if you do something, if you experience something, it could also be that it's not purposeful for you. And is it then wisdom or how can we get to this purpose? So uh, this is an interesting question because like first I have to say two things so that like we can come to the question. The first thing is, the human psyche. Nowadays, we have psychologists, right? Uh, who actually contemplate what the brain does and how it works, how it functions. But uh, most of people don't consider this, but game designers from the beginning of time, they were always con contemplating how the human brain works. Because if you look at games, usually since they are built on unnecessary obstacles, for example, you have to eat. That's a necessity, not a luxury. But games, most of the time, they are a luxury because they offer unnecessary obstacles. So game designers were always saying, since we are delivering something that's not of necessity, people have to like it to do it. Which brings me to your question. You said some games you like to play, some, some games you don't like to play, right? And that's exactly what the game designers knew. So they said, okay, if people have different choices, then their brain and what they want needs to be like different. So they did analysis and it's the most commonly used framework. We call it the four player category. So if you look at games or gamers, you have these four type of gamers. So like we call the first one, the killers. The second one, the achievers. The third ones, the explorers. And the fourth one, the socializers. So this was designed way, way back in time. Like, And when a game designer was designing a game, they were always designing it for a particular player. So they start with the player, not with the game. So they said, okay, Hannes is in this type of player so we need to design this kind of a game for him so a killer is someone who's intrinsically motivated by competition so a killer's purpose is to beat you so if i'm a killer meaning i want to play with another human being and i have to beat them so it's like really highly competitive the second ones we call them the achievers so the achievers they are also intrinsically motivated by competition but these people want to beat themselves their previous selves so the achievers they're always They want to be better than they were before. And these are, for example, Tetris players. If you play Tetris, have you ever won Tetris? You will never win it, right? Then why do people keep playing it? It's actually the most widely played game ever. And if you ask why people play it, you play it because I play it first and I get 100 points. It doesn't matter the point. I play it next time so that I can get 101. And that one gives me the knowledge that I have become better. So by the time I'm 1,000, I'm like becoming better and better and better. So it gives you this sense of mastery. So these are for achievers. The third ones are what we call the explorers. These people don't like competition. What they know, what they want is new information. They always like to explore. So these people just like get addicted to this novelty, like new things, always looking for new things and consuming new things. So these kind of explorers. The last people, the last person is my mother. <laughs> When we were playing Monopoly with my mom, she doesn't care. Like, for example, if I go bankrupt, she no, 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 I have money. She gives me. And my dad is like, this is not how you play the game. Like, this is not fair. Like, and these people are what we call socializers. They don't care about the game. It's all about the feeling of communionship, like being together with your loved ones. Like, Facebook is an ideal game for socializers. It's all about you showing your stuff, then you sh seeing your friend's stuff, you having that sense that everyone is watching you and you're watching everyone. This is for socializers. Now we're not saying there is one person always lies in one of these four, but like you kind of, you have your own spectrum. So you need to understand this for the psyches of players. And if you look at games, you can't see a game and say, after five minutes of playing it, you say, they designed this game for such kind of people. So the second part I want like to understand is like, there is a 
difference between players. And because people have different interests, different interactions they require. So now answering the question, which is, yes, I'm in life. People are stuck in their life. They don't like it. There is even though they are interacting and how can they find those interactions that they, they can enjoy? Now, this is a good question because it's like saying, if you are in a socializer, but if you, if I give you FIFA, which is a competitive game, it's counterproductive for you. For example, if you are a socializer, but you work in an, a working workplace where it's highly competitive, you feel drained. Okay, so how do you get out of it? So that, that's the simplest thing. As uh, I, I remember this uh, Hindu saying, which is uh, they say like there are three types of people. The first people, they they do whatever is, is given to them. If they don't like it, they suffer through it. And this is most of most of our population is going through this. Just do things. If you don't like it, it's life. So you just go through it. The second type of people are these people who seek joy. So they always look for the things they like and they do them. So these are hobbies, just like these are people who follow their purpose, their passion and stuff. These people, there is a counterproductive to it because you might be into something that's not socially acceptable or that might not help you in, in your social status. So, for example, designing a game in Ethiopia, you might think I'm stupid for doing it because no one would pay for it. So if I follow it, yes, I would find that internal motivation. I would be happy. But in my social interactions, I will be depressed because I don't have money. I can't survive. I can't help myself. And I can't support my family. That would be stressful. So this kind of people, they, they might be better off than the first ones, but they have a problem with understanding reality. Okay. You need money. That's why like external, external motivations have to work really good. So you have the third type of people. Now, this is the most important thing and what we also preach. The third type of people are, they do whatever is given to them or whatever is necessary, but they find the fun in it. So these are the proactive ones. So if you are really good at it, even the most terrible things or the most boring things, you can gamify them, to use our exact term. Meaning you can add the element that will make you enjoy it. Okay? So this, for to do this, to become this third type of people, what you need to do is first you need to understand what intrinsically motivates you. Are you a killer? Are you an achiever? Are you a socializer? You need to understand this first. So once you understand this, then you, you go and approach any job. That you need to do. That's necessary, okay? So you might do a boring job. But what you do is in the job, you can break down what you do on a daily basis and you can add elements that are suitable for you. So for example, if you're working in a really highly competitive workplace, but you are a socializer, what you need to do is you create teams. So you compete with teams. If you are an achiever, but you are in, stuck in a job that doesn't like let you grow, you can start a hobby. Or even the job, for example, if you are, let's say you are a phone operator, meaning you pick the phone and say the same thing every day for the, for the rest of your life. But if you are an achiever and you need that sense of being better, then you can work on how you're communicating with your clients. So you can come up with new tasks. For example, you say, okay, today I'll try to hold the conversation for one minute or I'll listen to for one minute. So you kind of create a path to mastery for yourself that you can adapt in doing the same thing you were expected to do, but it was not designed for such kind of people. If you are an explorer, but you're stuck in a nine to five office job that's doing the same thing and not, uh, maybe you go on hikings on Sunday or you start late night classes of exploration I, I don't know like you, you you see what i'm trying to say if yeah. you so you what you do you can add elements into games and into your life that will make it more interacting engaging so that you can enjoy it at the end of the day but it's not about like it's not like the whole process 
it's not a one-time thing. One thing you need to learn if you want to be the certain type of people is you're always you need to improve. It's continuously growing. You need to always work on it. Like you need to live your life not as a gamer, but also as a game designer. Always redesigning it, redesigning it, redesigning it, redesigning it. Sometimes it's, it could fail. It just doesn't matter. Like that's the, the whole point, because which is learning. So you're always like working around it. So that's like what we do on a daily basis. What we're trying to do is we take on an existing framework or structure that we think is not working or could work better. Like for example, education or health. We pick a particular sector, and what we do is we add element that can make it better. So we don't say, let's throw all the books and let's uh, start from ground zero. What we say is, like, okay, the education, this is its problem. For example, like it doesn't have the platform to experiment. It doesn't have a, a, a platform to exp- experience. So what you say is, okay, you can keep everything, but I just add a subject, uh, reserve one hour, two hour per day, where kids can experiment what they have learned. Now, this could be like, this is one of the suggestions we have. So... We always add element of inter- interactivity, uh, an element of exper- experience and interaction in anything that we, th- we, say we think is not working right. Mm-hmm. I can give you like one, one of my favorite examples is what we're trying to do with the health sector, which is really terrible in, in our country. And if you look at the problem of the health sector here, as no one is satisfied, everyone is blaming the doctors and the doctors are blaming the government. So the doctors, like everyone is saying, there are no good doctors here in the country. That's what people say. And the doctors say, we are not get, almost, we, we're barely getting paid. We're providing more service than actually we are getting paid. So this is the problem we have. And we actually talked to a couple of doctors. And one thing we, f- we found out is, even though everyone is trying to blame the other person, actually the problem exists in the system itself. If you look at the health sector, imagine you are a doctor. And if you're an Ethiopian doctor, you get to visit 30 to 50 patients per day. Every patient comes to you sick. Know that like it's a negative atmosphere by default. Meaning, you need to bring your energy from somewhere else, maybe from your family or from your hobby, and you just like expend. It's an expenditure. Every patient comes with uh, their sickness and their mental setup. So a doctor has to go through fifty people on a daily basis, and you expect this doctor to feel good about himself. It's bullshit. So now the question is, how can we gamify this or make it more enjoyable? So we just like what we just sat down and like asked questions. That's what you do with game thinking. You don't come up with solutions. You let the client come up with his own solution. And you just like you're like a psychologist. You just ask questions and find a pattern and you combine it and provide it as a solution. But like you're actually giving their own solution to themselves. So what what we found out is actually out of the forty or fifty people you see as a doctor on a daily basis, almost forty-five to forty-seven of them get. Cured. If you see 50 people, 50 people, 50, 45 of them, they're, they're cured. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is the 45 people don't come back because they're cured. They're, they never come back to say, to say thank you. They just live, right? But the five people which you can't heal keep coming back. Meaning what the interaction you have is, is telling you that you're not good enough. The five people always keep telling you you're not good enough even though you, you have saved 45 of them. And there is no feedback that's showing you you have saved 45 people, okay? It's like playing Tetris without the high score, the score bar. You don't know if you're doing better or worse. So why do you play it again? So what we did is, okay, that's a simple solution. We call it NADAM. Uh, we're raising some funds to actually develop it. So it's a simple application. As a patient, I come to you. You are the doctor, right? I say, I have this problem. Maybe it's an intestinal worm or something. 
So from your experience, you say, okay, you give me a medication, and in the in the in the platform in the app, we just put a, a, a estimated time of recovery. So you say like three days. So after three days, the system would send me a message, the patient, and it asks me one question: Are you fine or not? Like that's the simple question. So I can say yes, no, or I can give more descriptive. Like you, I mean, I can say I'm okay, but like I had these side effects. Okay. Now, as a doctor, you have a dashboard, and that dashboard will show you, oh, congratulations, you have cured one person now. Now, what happens is after a day, you have a, bar, a graph that shows 45 people saved, five people not saved. Now that's much better. Now you're seeing the actual information, which is productive to you. After a year, you have saved thousands of people. But still, maybe a hundred of, of or so people might be sick. So you see, you completely transform the atmosphere by just availing a data that used to exist but was not understood or was not seen. So this is like the true power of gamification or what we call game thinking. In general, if you like, one thing we can agree upon is life is better compared to the past. We know that, but there is no data. That can prove this. Now, so we need a lot of application. For example, honestly speaking, you had more good days than bad. That's uh, statistical. Like everyone had more good days than bad. But there is, there is no proof. During your bad days, it seems as if every other day was bad. So there was a way that you can show yourself that you had more good than bad. Then life would be much much better for everyone, and that would create this intrinsic motivation for people to go on. So that's yeah. actually my my take to it. So if you want to change your life, there is only one way you can do it: is to start doing something. But the take is, whenever you start doing something, start recording so that you can have that continuous feedback of improvement or not. And that's actually how you live a life as well, okay. and how you gamify life. Like these are the basic formula we use. And one thing I, I want to add is like it works for everything almost. You have we call it the joy formula. So. Joy is equals to AMP. So A stands for autonomy. So autonomy is like, for example, if most people hate their jobs because their boss is controlling. Their boss asks, where are you? What are you doing? Come in. Why are you late? So if you feel you are controlled by your boss or by your family or by your partner, you, do, you lose that sense of joy. So having the autonomy, having the power to make your own decisions, this is the first element. The second, what you call M is mastery. If you're always, if you have that sense of improving, if you think you're progressing, that's the second formula, the second element in the formula. That's why people who are doing routine jobs usually don't get, are not happy in their job because there is no sense of mastery. Even though they have the autonomy, if they don't feel they're, they're becoming better on a daily basis, they don't feel that joy. The third one is what we call the P, is the purpose, which is the meaning. So whenever you do something, even though it's superficial, you need to understand like why you're doing it. If you're doing something that you don't know why you're doing it, usually you'll not be happy about it. So for example, people who are working in this big, nowadays like in these big tech companies, in the past, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, two of them, they can sit down and make a laptop. Nowadays, just to make even a smartphone, there are like hundreds and hundreds of people who are working on it. So everyone is making a small part. And even some of them might, know, like, might not know why they're making that part. If someone is making a camera chip, they might not know like why they're making it in a way. So if you don't know why you're doing it or what the impact your job is doing, then usually you don't like why you're doing it. And that's, what, for example, in the, my previous job, it was a good job. I loved it. I had all the autonomy, all the mastery. And what I lacked was the meaning. I, it had a meaning. But, for example, I was making location-based systems for big companies. 
So it's, it's, I felt like I'm making rich people more rich. So I kind of lost connection in the meaning when it comes to this. So now, on the other hand, I make small games for like particular people who have who want to change their lives. And I have more meaning here, like in a sense. So this is what I'm trying to say. Like if you hit something, ask yourself, is this the, the autonomy that I'm, I'm losing? Am I losing the mastery or the purpose? Mm-hmm. You can ask this question and mm-hmm. answer them. If you don't like your relationship, is it because your partner is controlling? Or is it because your, your, the relationship is not growing? Mm-hmm. Or is it because you don't know why you, you're there with that person in the first place? Or you don't love them at all? So these questions, these three are good starting places for people starting to think about how to live a, full, a fulfilled life in a way. Cool, thank you. Yeah, I, I think I really get into the pattern actually of game theory, like think thinking in terms of your own life, in terms of you are the game designer, how can you improve it? And maybe if I can sum up, yeah, I think like the same way you explained to me how you develop a game, you start from the player, so kind of you you reverse engineer it and then you come up with the game and the formula you told me autonomy mastery and purpose that's equals to joy basically and we have to have all these elements in the game or in the simulation to to become happy what i think some people they don't kind of reverse engineer it they don't have the freedom to to reflect about themselves and what they actually need i think there are so many temptations in in our life and we fall for them but actually we don't need them we would need something else we would need maybe maybe you just need to hang out with one person and have a deep conversation and you you are happy and you don't need the chocolate temptation but if we don't make this thinking about it what what do we need and what is just a temptation holding us back if we don't reverse engineer our life to the point where we want to go we kind of i think sometimes get stuck get held back by just one click of temptation on the on the computer or whatsoever so But I think it's a really enriching idea actually to think about life in terms of a, of a simulation and reverse engineer it. But first you have to think, okay, what does the player, what do I want? And you have really have to make this process and don't fall for the temptation. So yeah, I think we are at the end. Maybe you want to have a parting word and yeah. then we just wrap it up. So just as a closing remark, uh, in game thinking, we have a saying. So we say, I, I'm an engineer, meaning I was somehow uh, raised to solve problems. And nowadays, almost everyone you meet, you have a bunch of entrepreneurs, and everyone's motivation seems to be solving people's problems. This is like the narration you see. So you go and ask an entrepreneur, they say, like, I want to solve people's problems. And you have a bunch of frameworks. You have design thinking. You have design sprint. You have agile. Like You have all these tools that you can use to solve people's problems. Now, the biggest problem we have is, who are we to solve other people's problems? Now, this is the first question we always ask, because there is this uh, misunderstanding. The most fundamental misunderstanding we have is, we assume two problems of the same type, the same problems, but of two different clients. Let's say client one has problem A, and let's say client two has problem A itself. So two clients have the same problem. With the current understanding of problem and solution, every solution provider would assume, okay, both of these clients require the same solution because they have the same problem. Now, this is the biggest, the biggest misunderstanding in solution provision. We assume similar problems require similar solutions. And this has been the biggest false understanding of solution provision. 
because these two people are completely different. Meaning we're not taking into consideration the human element. Okay. Imagine if that person is illiterate and the other person is not. Imagine. So coming up with the same solution for both of them who have the same the same problem completely will never work. It's like going to a farmer and giving uh, an Ethiopian farmer and giving him a tablet. It's like stupid. He can barely read. So what game thinking starts from as yes, game thinking also encompasses design thinking and design agile. It believes in the in the methodologies, but it debunks the the initial point, which is similar problems require the same solution. Game thinking starts, like you said, from the client. And as a game thinking, we have a saying. We say, we don't care about your problems because I don't know you. Your experience and my experience is completely different. So every problem you tell me, I'm not understanding it as you are facing it. I'm understanding it as I want and uh, from the experience I have. So actually I'm interpreting, uh, interpreting it in my own words and understanding it. So I'm solving not your problem, but the interpreted problem that I have, okay? So this is the, the most fundamental thing we need to understand. Every individual is different, and we have different experiences. So by default, I can't solve your problem. The initial point for a game thinker is they need to understand that they can't solve other people's problem. So it leaves you with two things. One is, okay, if I can't solve other people's problem, whose problems can I solve? As simple as the answer is simple, mine. So this is the first thing. So we need to start living proactive lives. If I'm preaching, I have to live my preaching. So meaning if I'm solving my own problems, I'm actually helping myself go out of my wisdom, the my knowledge realm and going into my wisdom realm. Mm-hmm. So if you want to change something first, change yourself. So that's the first element. So, okay, let's say, okay, you, you, you solve your own problem. That's good. That's a good mindset to have. To always strive to be better and to help on, to work on yourself and to always seek that joy in you. That's the first thing we always advise people. But the second, okay, other people need help as well. So how can I solve your problem? So the game thinking approach is really simple. I come to you and I say, I don't care about your problems. Even if I tried, I could never understand your problem. We assume words are the most efficient way of communicating, but they are complex completely the least efficient way of communicating. What I'm saying and what I want you to understand and what you're understanding is completely, we have no proof it's the same. And usually it's not even the same. So we need to understand that I can't solve your problem, even if I wanted to. So how can I approach you and solve, help you? So what I'll say is, I can't solve your problem. I don't, so I don't care about your problem. But what I care about is you. I, I care about you as a human being. So I am here and I'm always wondering if you know you have a problem, and if you know that you know that you have a problem, how come you didn't solve it until now? That's the question I would ask you, okay? You know you have a problem, so how come you didn't solve it? Then you come up with potential solutions. I don't come up with your solutions. You come up with your own solution. So whenever you come up with a solution, some of them you might have a lack of resources to, to make them. Sometimes you might lack the insight. So then I will take you into this conversation and whenever you mention a solution, I'll create a prototype, a simple prototype. And I will say, will this solve it? Is this what you were saying? And you try it and say, ah, this might solve my problem. Then if you say this might solve it, I produce it and give it to you. You say, I, I don't know. Oh, actually like my problem is not this. It's actually like something else. Then we'll, we'll go through this continuous back and forth. You trying to come up with your solution for your own problem. 
me facilitating the process and providing the resources that are required for the solutions you suggest and simulating them, this is how I can help you. And this is what we call participatory design. So this element will actually guarantee you the highest of successes. And we have actually applied it and it works. You go to the people and say, come up with a solution for your own problem. They come up with it and you make it like you organize it and you give it to them as something that's functional because we have, you know, like how system work and we design it in a system way. But the solution comes from the people with the problems. So this is what game thinking is. And everyone can apply it to themselves first and we recommend everyone to apply it to themselves first because that's the only way you can prove it. Then if that works and if they still want to pursue a career in problem solving, they can also go and help others. And that's where if you work on design, design thinking, the first element in design thinking is empathy. And empathy means really understanding the client. And understanding in a sense, understanding that you know nothing about his or her problem. The only thing you have is you have open ears and you can ask questions. And it's really literally doing as what a, psycholo- what a psychologist does, but going past the thinking realm and also working on the doing realm as well, because you have to simulate them. At the end of the day, there should be something that could be done that can help them become better. And that's all. Cool. Dagmavi, thank you so much for your time. So today we actually talked about game theory and uh, how you can basically also apply some of of it for your own life to yeah to basically reach more joy through some similar elements which you have in in games which is autonomy mastery and purpose so thanks a lot for Thank all these these inputs and uh yeah interesting. Like, actually like i found it really interesting and uh, i don't know for you but like for me it was yeah. a good session um, yeah it was a nice one it's actually an, an honor to share my ideas and to kind of talk them throughout. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. And also, thank you so much for listening.